to me, like to me, art in general, however you define that, whether it's painting or, or music, it, it's the only thing that to me can it just it can make you think, it can make you smile, it can make you cry, it can make you have these moments. And 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 I think in society today, in general, with social media, we can be so detached yet connected. It's this weird thing, but but to me, live music is still the tried and true. Seeing something in person is just the tried and true connection with another human being, and that's that's you know you can't you can't replicate that. You just can't, and it's that's why I don't think live music will ever die, is because or you know or going to see paintings will ever die, or going to see you know theater will not die because that is we all search for that. Um, no matter who we are, no matter what our belief system is, we all search for that. Whatever whatever it is. the deconstructionist podcast everybody we've got a very special episode for you today um i don't remember much of it why is that adam because we've been getting some reviews here and there on itunes that (sighs) i get a little carried away (laughs) (laughs) i get a little excited and (laughs) in order to make sure that that didn't happen on this very important interview, we are all set. We are all ready to go. Our notes out. We were ready to interview this guy. I was bouncing in my seat. John was getting nervous. <laughs> he pulled out from his pocket an African blow dart, shot me in the neck. <laughs> I collapsed into a pile of happiness and did not participate in the interview that ensued. Yeah. <laughs> yep. My my African blow dart that I keep next to my my globe on my bookshelf. He's deadly accurate with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, where where were you really? <laughs> I was in training for my new job. <laughs> Adam, I was, was out, I was out of town and I could not make this interview, even though it would have been a dream come true. I'm glad that our acting CEO John <laughs> Williamson here of the Deconstructionist Inc. Um, was able to conduct this interview, and I'm I'm just glad I even get to be on the intro and outro. Well, the the uh, the reality isn't much uh, less ridiculous because <laughs> in reality you were you were training and flying on airplanes, and I was sending you um, custom memes. Oh, it was so much fun. <laughs> so that will never see the light of day. <laughs> oh no. no, people people might question our our, no, our no, Christian no, no, badges. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> No. Oh but, goodness. Uh, yeah. So anybody that doesn't like my my overbroness, tune in to this episode. <laughs> Adam's very quiet during this episode. <laughs> oh man, but this is this is one of those episodes that um for those of you that uh you know the the, the heady academic ones are are a little too much for you. Um and, and you really like just a good story and um you enjoyed our our talks with the the musicians last season, like the Derek Wett ep- episode. Um, Brandon Strawn, uh, uh, K-Max, you know, episodes like that. Um, this is another musician. Um, his name is Paul Janeway. Uh, he happens to be the lead singer of what I think is, is probably one of the best bands out there right now. 
Um, they are a six-piece soul band from Birmingham, Alabama. Um, they released an EP called Greetings from St. Paul and the Broken Bones, um, a live EP, St. Paul and the Broken Bones, live and in person, and then two full-length albums, Half the City, back in 2014. And then more recently, this last fall, they released um, one of my favorite albums, period, and Adam's been rocking out to it on, on vinyl, um, called Sea of Noise in the fall of 2016. Um, and the uh, vinyl is transcendently uh, good. Who do you who do you think he sounds like? I don't know. I don't know because I love that Otis Redding record that you got me. It's kind of in that same kind of vein of like a Marvin Gaye, Otis Redding, like yeah. uh, just that huge Al Green. Yes, Al yeah. Green, absolutely, and it is it's beyond good. I mean, just I've been a huge fan for years now. So this is having them on the Deconstructionist podcast. Or having Paul, I mean, wow. What, what, what's your favorite track off that album, by the way? I, there is, okay, man. <laughs> I love just the intro tracks so much, but probably track two, to be honest, is is my favorite. I mean, I can listen to it over and over and over. I don't know track names because it's on vinyl, so it's not like staring at me in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, track two, so good. But the whole album is good. Oh, flow With It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Flow With It is amazing. Yeah, I gotta agree. Uh, Crumbling Light Post Part One. That that intro is just so pretty. Um, I, I think uh, Brain Matter is one of my favorites, and Burning Rome to me sounds just like Otis Redding. Oh, and then um, the the is it me? Yeah, like that ballad. Oh, it, it's so incredible. good, so good. And well, uh, just getting to hear his story just makes listening to the music that much more fun. Yeah. Yeah, he um, uh, you'll you'll find that he has a very interesting backstory, which is it'll become readily apparent why we really wanted to get him as a guest on the show. Um, and so he talks a lot about his upbringing and kind of what led him into music and and kind of how um, really interesting story about how he's using music now um, to to make a difference um, in his community, in his city, um, in the world, and just a uh, real interesting guy. Just could not have been a nicer dude and. Uh, just kind of how he views the world is just really interesting and, and uh, you know, kind of uh, kind of refreshing, you know, to see a guy who has uh, been opening for uh, the Rolling Stones and, and playing in these giant stadiums um, be so incredibly humble and generous with his time and just, uh, again, could not have been a nicer, more generous dude. No so, way. So, yeah, let's get to it, man. Without further ado, Paul freaking Janeway from St. Paul and the Broken Bones. Janeway, we've been very, very excited. Uh, this has been a long time coming. I know we've had to reschedule a couple times uh, <laughs> due to uh, unforeseen circumstances, but we are very, very excited to to have you on the show. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. Ah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, I, one of the things that we like to do, one of the questions that we like to ask a lot of the people that we have on the show. Um, we, we get a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds. Um, we've had, you know, scientists on and, and musicians previously and, and, uh, authors, bloggers. Um, but the one thing that we always find that's really interesting is, is how, uh, people came to, uh, fall into the, the line of work that they do. And I think you've got a really interesting background and, and your story I think is really interesting. 
Um, so maybe we could start there. If you could tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, kind of where you're from, how, <laughs> how you're far raised. back do we want to go? Oh, yeah, how far yeah. back do we want to go? Uh, well, the, the, sure. The uh, I, I think the interesting part of your story, though, um, yeah, if I, to give you a little uh, specific direction to go, is uh, you you as a as a youth up until um, you know you were I, I believe if I read this correctly, 19 years old had actually mm-hmm. uh, considered going into seminary. Yeah, yeah, I. I so I grew up in rural Alabama, um, grew up in a church that was considered non-denominational. So it would, it would swing several different ways. Um, but one of the predominant swings was, a uh, very charismatic, um, you know, kind of healing and speaking in tongues and the whole shebang. Uh, I call it fun church and, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's entertaining. And, uh, anyway, and so, Till I, I mean, I was a pretty good kid, you know. I, I if the church if the jur- if the church doors are open, I was in there. I would, uh, I mean, goodness, I was a janitor there at one time. I mean, I did everything I could, and I just, I just, I, you know, you kind of fall in love with that, and because uh, it's really in a small town, it's kind of the social epicenter of what's going on. And um, anyway, so you know, I'm 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 constantly there and. And I, you know, when I was young, I thought, well, I, you know, I'm going, I sang in church and, and, uh, you know, I, I you kind of fall in love with the idea of being a preacher and, and, and that kind of thing. And I had a pastor come in when I was probably, golly, I was probably about nine or so, nine or 10. And he really kind of took me under his wing. And I remember he had a guitar and I, I was like, oh, I want to play guitar. So I learned <laughs> to play guitar and, and sing and. And he never let me do lead. He never let me sing lead, which was really frustrating. Uh, but he's, I guess, you know, later later on, I think he was trying to teach me humility, which, you know, is, is not a bad lesson, but it just I just thought I couldn't sing. And uh, so he kind of took me under his wing. And then when I got, he kind of was training me to be, be a pastor. And so I would, ever so often, you know, you wouldn't get the main event Sunday morning, but you'd get maybe a Wednesday night or a, uh, Sunday night and he would, uh, he'd let me preach. And, uh, I really kind of fell in love with it. I wasn't, you know, disciplined, but I knew the performance aspect of it really well. I could keep an audience's attention and you started kind of learning how to read audience, how to prepare for those things. And, um, and so I kind of fell in love with it. And I thought, so I was about 18, 19. I thought this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of life. The whole goal was to be a singer or to be a preacher, not a singer at all. No, I wasn't. I didn't want to be a singer. I never thought I'd be. I was good enough to be a singer. And uh, <clears throat> and then, you know, I fell in love with that. And and then about eighteen, nineteen, you know, your worldview kind of expands. And uh, I kind of fell out of love with it a bit. And um, so bizarrely enough, I I grew a lot of venom for the church. You know, in general. Um, and I, at the time, I was. I was living with my dad and me and two other people in a in a two bedroom apartment and couldn't keep the lights on, couldn't keep anything. It was it was it was it wasn't fun. But I was working at a then I started working at a construction company as a gopher uh, at a mechanic shop. And then when the economy crashed, lost my job. Um, and then then was unemployed for a year and a half. And then that's really met a beautiful girl who's now my wife. Um, and really that year and a half where things started changing, I'd always, always kind of played music outside doing open mics, never really a band thing. I didn't have a lot of friends. And then, uh, 
then basically I was getting, I went back to school. I was getting my accounting degree, working as a part-time, got a job as a part-time bank teller. I actually first got a job at a sporting goods store selling little kids shoes, which was awful. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, got his job as a part-time bank teller was in accounting school. And then what's crazy is my best buddy who me and him started this band together. We got together kind of as our last hurrah because we all getting big boy jobs. I was about done with accounting school and he was kind of doing his thing. And we first song we wrote was a song called broken bones, a pocket change. And, and that changed, changed my life. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I I'm a musician, for a living now and it's it's a it's a crazy journey man it's a crazy journey oh that's incredible and one of the things yeah. i don't know if you've ever thought about this and, and maybe you have but but um, when I first read kind of about your, your journey from, you know, kind of a desire to become a preacher all the way through like the hardships into becoming a musician, it's funny because uh, not only, do, you know, are you kind of known for ha- kind of this throwback soul style, you know, that, that was, uh, you know, kind of born and bred out of, you know, like the 1950s, 1960s, but a lot of musicians who, who I grew up listening to and, and really look up to kind of had similar you know, paths, you know, if you, if you think about like Jerry Lee Lewis or like Marvin Gaye, you know, a lot of these guys grew up also singing in the church and, uh, had, had very religious upbringing. So it's kind of interesting, you know, that you, you parallel that in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think, you know, in church, especially kind of church I grew up with, there's a sense of urgency. You know, you think, you think you're singing for a higher cause, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and it's just, it's a, it's a passion. And so, What's interesting for me is now, you know, I don't particularly, I don't really practice any sort of, you know, I don't really go to church much. My, my wife's Episcopalian, but I'd be lying if I said I was, I was, I was you know, in the <laughs> church stores every time they open. Um, but I think what's interesting for me now is that you, that passion, that sense of urgency you, you pick up in church, um, it somehow leaks its way into what what I do now and um it's a really interesting it's a really interesting uh, it's a really interesting career path um but but I think that's what you pick up there you know you pick up that kind of like like man this is gonna be the last time I sing you know yeah. I'm singing I'm singing to stay out of hell you know and yeah. uh and you kind of sing that way and I still sing that way it's just I don't you know necessarily feel that way now I, I to stay out of debt really um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. What was there, was there to to kind of go back to what you said when you kind of became disillusioned with, with, uh, you know, your faith, religion, whatever, was there any, um, anything specific that really, or, uh, you know, that really said, you know what, I don't know if this is going to be the career for me or was it just kind of an accumulation of conversation or or, or things over time? Uh, there was a few things. There was accumulation, uh, you know, growing up in small town, Alabama, I didn't, Particularly love the view that the church I grew up in had had like homosexuality. I thought it was absolutely. I, I just I didn't read that. You know what I mean? Like for me, because I'm to, and to be full disclosure, I'm a pretty liberal guy. And 
what's always been bizarre to me to how I got there though was through was through church. And I know people go, that's you know, but for me it was one of those things we talk about love and acceptance and 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 those kinds of things. Like that's what I was drawn to. Yes. And so yeah. I was having this kind of you know, I was having this kind of crisis of faith where I was just like, I don't understand. Like I got, you know, I was going to high school with kids who were gay and, and I couldn't understand why, why, you know what I mean? The good yeah. folks, I couldn't, you couldn't wrap my mind around it. And then, you know, then I had a, I had a pastor tell me that Gandhi went to hell and I was like, man, if Look, Gandhi went to hell, we're, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, golly, he went to hell. We've got a long, I mean, you know, and, and we're all in trouble, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, and so, really wrestling with that. And what's bizarre is that I developed a ton of venom for the church. I mean, just a ton. Yeah. Where I just, you know, I couldn't church people. You know, all of it. It's just it was so venomous. And and what's really beautiful is that my wife is uh, didn't grow up the same way I did. She grew up in a religious family, but but they were just <laughs> just more chill, I guess. Yeah. The best way to put it. And and so she was just like, you know. And what you start realizing, you know, and I do some nonprofit work, and, and in the South especially, you're going to have to work with churches. And, and one of those things is that you just have to, you know, it's an imperfect system. It was man-made. Religion, it's a man-made thing. And, but if you look at the essence of most religions and you look at the essence of it, you really go, okay, that's what it's about. And uh, you just kind of... Now I'm, now I'm, you know, I'm a lot more accepting and, you know, while I disagree with, you know, I don't think religion should be in politics. Religion's been in politics since religion's been around. So sure. it's kind of like, you know, it's, uh, it's so, but for me, it was, I'm at a, I'm at a much better place now than I was, you know, probably when I was probably 21 years old. Cause there was a lot of venom and it's just like, man, you just can't live your life that way. You know, there are things that bother me. Obviously, there's things that bother me about the church and all those things. But now I'm, I, you know, I'm in a pretty good space. That's great, man. Yeah, we. It, it's funny because everything that you just said, I think, um, probably echoes pretty, uh, pretty familiar, pretty true to a lot of our listeners um, who who came from, you know, would probably similar backgrounds to you in terms of uh, more of a conservative, fundamental background. And and at some point, we're just like, wait a minute, like. Aren't aren't we supposed to be a little more loving to our neighbors and the people around us? Like, <laughs> yeah. Just, why do we not emphasize that? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't. That's what bugs me. Is that I just I'm like man, like because the, the reason I believe what I believe, the reason that I think you know, the reason I have my views of homosexuality of of, of all of these things that are t- apparently somewhat taboo is because of church, is because of getting to that point where you're like love and acceptance, and and that to me is. That to me is the essence. It's not punitive, you know, you know, outcomes of everything. I think society in general is too punitive, you yeah. know, and and there's not enough embracing. And 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 I'm not, you know, it's, it's it, to me it gets a little hippy dippy. But for me, it's just most <laughs> things. It's, it's where I'm comfortable. And you know, I just yeah, no, it was always one of those things that just I hated because, you know, I mean, I remember. There's a ter- there's a terrible story, but I remember you know you know the the kind of prosperity you know you have to have enough faith to oh, yeah. be healed. I remember there was a lady in our church who had cancer, and that she was she died thinking she didn't have enough faith to be healed. Oh, jeez. And I just exactly, exactly, exactly. Oh to man, to me that's wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's wrong. 
that's wrong. And and so it's it, you know you grapple with that stuff and and um yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm to be fair, like I, I if I go with my wife to an Episcopal service, I really do find there's a peace still about it. You know what I mean? Like I listen to some of those some of those old gospel tunes. There's still a peace about it. So I still find something there. I just I always tell people like if if me and God had a Facebook status, it would be complicated. I mean, that would be <laughs> yeah. that would be the relationship status. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For me it would be more like uh my relationship status with, with uh other Christians would be complicated. <laughs> <laughs> You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's always complicated. You yeah. know, you talking you talking to that that's always complicated. But at the same time, you know, my mom and dad are fairly conservative, um, and they're good people. You know, they're good people. It's just they believe different things, and we we try not to talk to, talk about them at Thanksgiving. Um, you <laughs> know, that's kind of it's a, it just ruins it ruins Thanksgiving oh, if man. that happens. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> a lot of people can understand that, bro. <laughs> so, um, like, please don't let mom talk. Yeah. Please, you know, like, can you just get through it? It's like my family, my extended family in politics. We just steer clear of that, that topic altogether. You just know? steer clear of it. Let's not talk about it. Let's just <laughs> let's enjoy each other's company and go on. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. So, you talked about, you know, uh, going to school and you were, you were going for accounting. Which, by the way, you guys should never go broke, right? Because you have no excuse because you, you have this, this accounting background. Exactly. So you guys should be well yeah. invested. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is, is that what's, we have a business manager now because I would try to handle it, and it just it gets, too, it gets too big to where you have to <laughs> let someone else handle it. The problem is the business manager and booking agents are not used to an artist calling them up and saying, hey, I'm looking at these numbers, and I'm just trying to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. And they're just they – just, they're like – they like it's they part of part of them really loves that I care a lot about that stuff or that I, I ask questions, but part of them are like, just let me do, do my job, okay? Just leave me alone. <laughs> um, but it, it does happen. Well, at the very least, we'll know that you'll never have a Billy Joel moment where you'll open up a safety deposit box and there's just a stack of IOUs in there. So that's that's good. <laughs> Your bandmate should feel I comfortable. I, I, I don't. That <laughs> if that happens. Something has gone. The, the somebody's lying somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So you're going to school to be an accountant, and you said that uh, uh, your friends, you know, who you've been playing with, um, were all kind of, you know, getting ready to uh, get together and maybe do this one, as you said, last hurrah before you go on and do do your regular full time jobs and that sort of thing. Um, at what point when you guys sat down, was it when you were recording? Was it when you started to play live shows that you started to realize, whoa, wait a minute, we've got something special here? Um, really for me, I knew what was crazy is that people started like people that had heard it started getting really interested, like asking us like, Hey, you know, you, you know, they wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, and that's when I started to kind of know. Okay, there's something, something here, and so that's really when we decided. All right, we got to see it through. You know what I mean? Like, go do the thing. You know, try to tour that kind of thing. Um, but what's crazy is that I mean, I knew, I knew there was a song we had, "Broken Bones Pocket Change," which is like, to me, is kind of the essence. That's the essence of the band. You know, yeah. it just, it just, it's, it, to me, that's kind of the launching path of the band. I remember writing that song, me and Jesse doing that song and being like, 
there's something here. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I mean, in our mind, like we're from Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. So, I mean, we're living in Birmingham. So there hasn't been a ton of bands of modern times that have exploded out of Birmingham. Okay. So it was at the time that we were there, like it was kind of the death kiss to be from the, the city of Birmingham. Now, Luckily, a band like the Alabama Shakes and some of these other bands have started to kind of emerge, not from our city, but from our state. And so it started not to have such a stigma with it. Um, but man, I mean, it just, it kind of snowballed. It was one of those bizarre things where you're just like, you kind of caught it, caught lightning in the bottle a little bit. Um, you know, the moment we start, people started showing interest, we're like, whoa, okay, maybe we should take this seriously to, you know, we started playing shows and, you know, we would, I mean, I remember one time we played like seven times in the city of Birmingham within a month or something, a month and a half, which is a big no-no. You don't do that. Like <laughs> not as a, and, but what was happening is every time we were playing more people were coming and by the end of it, we were selling out, you know, 250 cab rooms in Birmingham. And we thought, oh no, this is, this is pretty serious. And so it just kind of, it was a snowball effect. And then, and then we, uh, got, uh, got involved with, a record label in Florence that had John Paul of the Civil Wars and Ben Tanner who plays with the Shakes and a guy named Will Trapp, Single Lock Records up in Florence. And then they said, we will pay to, we will pay for studio time for you to make a record. And we thought, well, this is the big time, fellas. We've done it. <laughs> Someone is willing to pay for us to go to the studio. So we had like three or four days uh, in the studio. And then around that time, uh, the, really the biggest thing to have to us, we got a manager named Tracy Thomas, who does Jason Isbell, and I think now does John Moreland. When she got involved, it changed. I mean, it was an instant change. And then we got a great booking agent, and it, it just, it was a high road uh, booking. And it just, that, honestly, man, like, that, all of that happened so quickly that it was just like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> um, and so that's, it's, it's, so it's really hard to be like, oh, that's the moment. Um, but it just you just kind of stuck at it, and, and it, people seemed to like it, so it just kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, yeah. I remember the the first time I came into contact with your music, I was uh, just flipping through Spotify, and I think at one point, if I remember correctly, they had um, some some live tracks from your performance. I think it was at South by Southwest or something South like by, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is one of my least favorite recordings of us. No way. Because yes, because I could barely talk. Oh show. my gosh. I remember yeah. thinking, whoa, who is this guy and where is this voice coming from? <laughs> well, that's good to know. Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> that, that hooked me. I, immediately after that, I went out and, uh, and, and found your, your first record and was like, oh, my gosh, like, who are these guys? You know, so. Well, that's good to hear because I was, I was, uh, that was, I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I could, I, I could barely talk. And what's great, we had done about nine shows in three days or something crazy like that. Oh, my gosh. And I could. I could barely talk at that show. We, we It's good to know that that did some good because we seriously, I was like, I don't know if I want that out there for the public. <laughs> what's really beautiful about that is I did a Change Is Gonna Come with a Lizzo on that. And it's that song for that one instant, I could hit everything I needed to hit. And I was like, so it was kind of a magical. Wow. I mean, it was a magic. It's one of those rare kind of like, you're like, whoa. I mean, I get chills thinking about it because it was magical how it just kind of came came back and yeah. um anyway but uh yeah man what's well, good to know yeah that was <laughs> but <laughs> that was that was a rough that was a rough performance 
I, I would have, I would have never guessed, honestly. Good, all right. Yeah, I would have never guessed. See, now we'll delete, we'll edit that part out. That way, no one knows. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We don't, we barely edit yeah. anything. Yeah, <laughs> good. Yeah. So, um, one of the things I read that I thought was super interesting, because um, by the way, I, I, the new record is just unbelievable. I, I think I, if I could like it better than the first one, it's you know, I thought that would be impossible, but. It's just from start to finish. It's just uh, an amazing album. Um, and well, thank you. Um, and, and one of the things I read that I thought was really interesting. Adam and I are both huge, huge readers. Um, read everything we can get our hands on. And uh, what I had read, if uh, you know, uh, you can tell me, correct me if this is true or not. But you, a lot of the um, kind of the mood of the new album is based off of a book that you were reading called Just Mercy. Yeah. 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 yeah what? That's what? Very uh, true. Yeah. So, what 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 kind of impact did that have on, on on this album? What was what was the book about? First of all, I guess. Well, the book is by a guy named Brian Stevenson, who uh, was uh, he is he started a nonprofit called uh, the Equal Justice Initiative. It's based in Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, basically it was, you know, kind of talking talking about how basically like a lot of after after the civil rights movement, um, you know, people of color uh, in the in the in the in the South, especially, there were still laws being put in place that were putting a lot of innocent people on death row, or just it, basically, it's it's basically people who are not able to afford proper, let's say, uh, legal representation. You know. Um, it's a nonprofit that has, you know, Harvard educated lawyers, all of these kind of top lawyer schools where they basically are funded through donations to represent death row inmates, to represent, uh, just all sorts of situations. Um, and, uh, so it's kind of talks about his journey doing that, um, oh, wow. starting the, it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful, and, and I've read inspirational books. Don't get me wrong. Like I've read them. I read, I read a lot of nonfiction and, and it was just one of those, it hit me at a certain time in my life where I was like, I was no longer not making any money. You know what I mean? I was in a yeah. weird spot where I was like, there's starting to become a tension and you're starting to kind of get these things and you're like, start going, all right, what am I going to do with my life? Like, do I want this music thing to be the thing that defines me that people go look back? And I was like, no, I don't. Um, and, and so I had this crisis where I wanted, I thought about stops stop playing, stop singing and really kind of devote my life to still that call of like doing service, you know, like doing something that, that was kind of beyond because you do music and yes, you make people happy and you you really do. You can do some good, but you also get your name screen. You know what I mean? Like people cheer for you. There's very instant gratification. Yeah. And so there's this tug of balance where you're just kind of like, you want to like, like disappear and like, do something that that doesn't get a lot of attention and really like really service oriented and i still had that desire and so i was i read that book and it just kind of you know it just kind of hits you to where you have that hug where you're like man i really need to be doing something with my life cuz you know i mean at the time i'd work i hadn't worked a job over minimum wage mm. you know and and so you, it's hard to you do what you can but it's just hard to live that way and be donating money you know, or, or to be doing, you know, cause you're just trying to, you just really live in paycheck, paycheck. And, you know, when that changed, I was like, I had this, I had to kind of this crisis a bit. And, um, I was in my bed, I read it and 
with my wife and I'm just bawling and she's worried about me. She's like, <laughs> you know, I was, I had like letters drafted to every band member and to the manager. Oh, basically no way. like say, yeah, I mean, I'm seeing like, I'm, I cannot emphasize enough how like close it was. I, I think I would probably have eventually gone back to it. Um, but I was, I was really, it was really this crisis within me because, you know, I, I'm not, I don't desire this attention. You know, it's not something I love playing music and I love being, letting that be my creative outlet, but there is something, there's just something to me that's still kind of tugging with service. So anyway, um, I don't do that, but I talked to my wife and we talked for a while and, uh, and I was like, with this next record, I really have to say something and really, you know, be more conscious about what I'm doing and, and, and really kind of, you know, and then and on a personal level, you know, start working with, you know, charitable things, start doing some service, you know, do doing those things to, to, uh, to, to really kind of, I guess, fill in that hole that I felt was there now. Um, and so, so that's really how the record was kind of spawned. It was spawned from that, that sense of service, sense of urgency to do something and kind of exploring Southern identity in these modern times. And, you know, which is, you know, my background in church and things like that. So it, it's, to me, it's, it's not a story I tell often, um, because it's not something that, you know, I think it scared everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, they're like, Oh God, <laughs> you know, we've got careers, but I guess that's kind of my thing is that that's, but that's the kind of impact it had. Yeah. And, uh, and you, you know, you, you, you come across and, and like I said, it's just a, it was just one of those stories, and that so that book had such a like a profound impact on me. Oh man, that's incredible! I. I, when I read that, I I thought about there's a there's a book I picked up randomly. I saw I think a trailer for a documentary that's coming out soon um, about this uh, this this figure uh, this public figure who was um, kind of on par with Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X around that same time period named James Baldwin. And yeah, James Baldwin. Yeah, I had never heard of the guy, and I was like, who is this yeah. guy? So I went out and picked up one of his books and I'm telling you, it's not even that long, but this thing has floored me since the minute I started reading the first page. It's just incredibly well written and just, um, yeah, I, I imagine, you know, I probably feel a lot the same, uh, you know, as when you were reading, uh, that particular book, just in the way that it's moved me to, um, you know, to, to open up that conversation a little bit more. And, and I think, uh, I think that's great. I think that's that's amazing use of of your platform. I you know, I think that's awesome. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it it was it's a uh, you know, especially here in the South, you know, especially things with race and and things like that. There's especially in Birmingham. I mean, we we have those issues, and um, I think sometimes it's diff it's difficult for us to talk about. Um, but the problem is, is that that everybody's afraid to talk about it, and I don't that that. that you got to be able to talk. We got to have open dialogue about this stuff because, you know, and what's beautiful about our state <laughs> is that they're starting to recognize 
you know, they're starting to put markers at the lynchings in our state. Oh, it's wow. starting to be a state site. And the, the Equal Justice Initiative is a big part of that. But that's really important because, you know, you're acknowledging this history, and it's very sad and it's very awful history, but it's being acknowledged. And it's for so long, it hasn't been yeah. in our state. And it's just like, which is crazy. You know, it's just kind of like, oh, let's just sweep it under the rug. And it's, it's, it's to me, that's, that's, you can't, you can't heal wounds that no one acknowledges. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and so it's a, it's a really, I'm, I'm, you know, the, it's, a, it's a process and it'll always be a process. Yeah. But uh, I feel like there's some, there's some, there's some progress being made, especially in our state, which is remarkable. Wow. That's great, man. Um, it, it, to, to stay on kind of the same topic, one of the things that I, that I, uh, had heard you mention before in another interview was just kind of this internal struggle that you've had, um, with, with Birmingham and with living there. And I think you, you had mentioned at one point that you'd even considered moving away, you know, and kind of putting it behind you. Um, but then finding some sort of peace and redemption in staying there. And I could be wrong, but it seems to me that the song, is it me? May or may not be yeah. about that. <laughs> it, it's definitely got elements of that. It definitely okay. does. It's a, uh, it's also uh, it's uh, it's also uh, based on a uh, sci-fi novel, um, I think called "A Childhood's End." Um, that actually, this is this is a big plot detail, but the whole the whole book is about uh, this these beings come to to Earth and basically make Earth like a utopia, but they won't reveal themselves for like for like seventy years. Oh, wow. And then when they finally, yeah, so they finally reveal themselves, and the, the, no one could understand why they wouldn't reveal themselves. So they finally reveal themselves, and they they look like our version of Satan, of a, of a devil. Oh, no. And so, so there's a, it's a really interesting, but they've caused this utopian society for Earth and done all of these great things. Um, now, the book goes further than that, and it turns out to not be so great, but it was just the idea of, what we see as evil and bad imagery, especially, you know, from my background and turning that up on its head. Cause there's a line in there that devils, won't you take me up with you? Um, and I could use the company and I'm sure you could use it too. And so it's, it's basically, it's a mixture of those things. And so, um, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a, that's honestly, man, like that's, it's, it's been really fun. We just got back from Europe and everybody knew the lyrics of that song. And it was just like, it's a really cool moment for me um, because I do, it, there is it's definitely coping and with all of that. And that's definitely one of the main songs I think about for that. Jesus is stuck inside my TV screen, giving all the answers, but never holding me. Heaven's too far away And I can't find no peace Is it hell? Is it home? Or is it me? Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's got to be a weird experience the first time you hear uh, thousands of people, you know, reciting your own lyrics back to you, right? <laughs> it's very intimidating. You're like, oh, God, why did I write that? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, um, but it's, it's, it can be, it can be fascinating. Yeah. So 
if you had if you had a goal going forward, obviously you're very um, in tune with what's happening around you and in, in your society, um, in, in the world, in the country, you know, um, and, and that impacts the way that you write and, and the way that you sing and perform and and the way that you do service, you know, for your community. Um, what what hope do you have uh, in terms of like what what do you hope for people to take away from your music? Music-wise, I mean, really, I hope that it, any music, you hope that it, that it can inspire creativity, thought, and then also, you know, being able to, you know, and have it, I don't, I don't want it ever to be taken too seriously, because at the end of the day, it's music, and yes, it can change, it can do, it has powers, but for me, it's one of those things like, you know, I hope, I hope that like when people, people, I want people to get you know, all the goodness out of it they can. Because there's probably people that listen to the new record and don't understand some of the context that is being used, and they just kind of groove to it. And that's okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's fine by me. Um, but, I, you know, there are people that probably listen to it and go, oh, there's, that's a little bit deeper than... I, I want... I want... I don't... I want it to bring... I, you really want it to unite people, bring people together, um, and and kind of, you know, have these moments where you're like, oh, yeah, we can agree on music. Or, you know, we can't, you know what I mean? And like, yeah. Um, but I mean, and, and very selfishly, it's just a creative outlet for me that I can, that really scratches this need that I have to, to, to release music and to put it out in the public view. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I it, it varies, man. I just want people to really for a concert, it's really beautiful when everybody can come together and have one moment with one song or one show. I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, and to be able to be lucky enough to do that in front of people and maybe be the conduit that makes that happen is a really, it's a really beautiful thing. And it's, it's like, if you could bottle it up, man, <laughs> you know, I'd never yeah. leave home, but, uh, but you can't. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I think this good times, unity, you know, makes you laugh, makes you cry, makes you go. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it gives you some sort of release. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that, I think that's the thing that, that, that at least I know Adam and I love about just a really good live show is, you know, when, when, when the band's feeling it and when they're into it and the, and the crowd just kind of, when you kind of lose yourself in the moment, you know, you kind of forget about time and space and where you are and what you're dealing with. And you're just there in that moment. And, uh, there's something magical about that, you know, that, that you don't necessarily find in other art forms, you know? Right. Well, I mean, for me, I, I'm a, I'm a huge, like, I, I love, I love, I love, especially when in Europe, I, I go see a painting I've always wanted to see. And it varies. Uh, sometimes you don't have that moment, but, but sometimes you do. And it's very much to me like a show in that you have this collective moment of beauty where you're, you're having a moment, but there might be somebody next to you that's having the same, a similar kind of moment. Maybe you're getting different things out of it. Um, and it doesn't happen all the time, but that, I've had a few of those because I mean, to me, I'm more inspired by art than I am music, um, which is a very bizarre thing. Yeah, that's interesting. It's very bizarre. I, I, when I listen, when I go, you know, um, I, there's a really famous painting called the death of Marat and I saw it in Brussels and I remember having this beautiful moment, um, with it. And I remember thinking, golly. Like this is hard. It just inspires you. 
and inspires you to, you know, because it was about the French Revolution and and all of these things. And I'm actually secret. Yeah, as as uh, my bandmates say, they uh, they it's a uh, I actually secretly um, am like a sophisticated redneck, is what they call it. Um, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of. So I love our. It's it's a bizarre, but but so but for me, you know. I can get the same thing from seeing a painting that I can't, it's, it's a different, it's a different thing, but it's to me, like to me, art in general, however you define that, whether it's painting or, or music, it, it's the only thing that to me can, it just, it can make you think, it can make you smile, it can make you cry, it can make you have these moments. And, and, and I think in society today in general with social media, we can be so detached. Yeah yet connected it's this weird thing but but to me live music is still the tried and true seeing something in person is just the tried and true connection with another human being and that's that's you know you can't you can't replicate that you just can't and it's that's why i don't think live music will ever die is because or you know or going to see paintings will ever die or going to see you know theater will not die because that is, we all search for that. Yeah. Um, no matter who we are, no matter what our belief system is, we all search for that, whatever, whatever it is. Man, I could not agree more with that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so uh, just got a couple more questions for you. Um, but uh, one of the things I thought was probably, had been a cool moment in your life is uh, there's a quote by, uh, uh, let's see, um, let me f- see if I can find the exact quote here. I have it written down, but uh, Keith Richards uh, was quoted as saying that uh, uh, you're a cat that can do Otis Redding. Now, to me, Otis Redding might be, if not the greatest vocalist of all time, at least in the conversation. You know, that's got to be a weird moment when a legend like Keith Richards tells you, you sound like Otis Redding. Come on. <laughs> uh, well, he's 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 incorrect. Um, there is. There is, that is sacrilege. Um, <laughs> you know, that is not, uh, the, I no, it's, it's, it's unbelievably flattering. I don't think it's true. <laughs> um, I think that there is no one who is Otis Redding. Um, but what's been bizarre. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's been bizarre. I mean, with, you know, um, having people like Keith Richards and, and people like that who, um, are friends, Fans of what you do is um, scary. Um, it's it's a it's a weird experience. But I didn't grow up listening to the Rolling Stones, so yeah. <laughs> bizarrely enough, it was not one of those things. Like I uh, <laughs> bizarrely, the most starstruck I've ever been was a, a professional wrestler. Um, I got to know who was it. It was Jerry the King Waller. He no way. Was what? Yes, this is this is crazy. So I was in we were. This this is this shows how like messed up my priorities are. This is, just, <laughs> uh, is that I was stateside watching Jerry Lee Lewis play. Oh, okay, man. Jerry Lee Lewis. Come okay? on now. Uh, exactly. I, I mean, a legend, no doubt. Absolutely. But I I was I was standing next to Jerry Lawler, and I could not talk to the man. My <laughs> wife was laughing. I mean, I I met with Elton John, the Rolling Stones, all these people. And the one person that just I could not talk to was Jerry the King Lawler. Wow. And my wife thought it was the funniest thing she has ever seen. Um, and uh, 
so what's bizarre about all that is that yes, I'm flattered, um, and it's awesome. It's just weird that I like <laughs> the rest of the because I went to go hang out when we opened up for the Stones. I, I went to go hang out with those guys and uh, with Keith and Ronnie and Charlie and saw Mick for a little bit, you know, very briefly. Um, but they were all like super nice, and you you know it's a big deal, but at the same time you're like. I mean, they put their pants on the same way you do. Like they're, they are because, because I'm doing, I'm not, we're nowhere even close to the stones at all, but you are in the same business. Sure. Sure. And, and so you kind of, it's, it's weird. Like you, to me, it's always kind of like this brotherly sisterly thing in the music business. Like anybody, anybody to me who plays a real instrument and is doing it, I might not like their music, but I'm going to pull for them as long as they're not good folks. Right. And yeah. And so you, you, it's, it's weird. It's different. So I'm unbelievably flattered. Um, actually, to me, the Otis stuff, though, the most flattering thing is that his family has embraced us unbelievably. Um, they invited us to uh, the Big O Ranch, which is where, you know, down in Macon. And uh, we went to go there. And there has only been only a couple bands to go there. Um oh, wow. And we were, that's where, that's where Otis is buried, is on his property. And, uh, and, and Zelma, his widow, um, is, uh, just a wonderful human being. Uh, the whole family's wonderful. Um, we actually, was, <laughs> we played his 75th birthday party, um, in, uh, in Macon. His family asked, it was a charity event. And we don't usually do things like that because it just, it was right. It was right during our record, our Sea of Noise record release. So it was just a really bad timing. But because Zelma asked, we were like, "I will never tell that woman no." Yeah, um, yeah. she was one of the very few people I will never tell no to. Um, but they've just embraced us. She sent us this beautiful letter that I've gotten framed. Um, that was uh, it, it. It it was one of the most flattering things. I mean. It was just, it was amazing. And so that, that to me, um, I, you know, like if people talk, if people hate on you, you just have to think about that and be like, man, how many people have gotten a letter like that? No kidding. You know, and how many, you know what I mean? How many people have gotten a letter like that? that like basically saying like, I haven't seen an artist since my husband be able to, you know, capture that spirit. Oh, wow. And, yeah, Exactly. Now, did you I play? Still thinking about it. Did, did you did you play Burning Rome for that show? Uh, actually, uh, well, actually, we did Otis song. Oh, you did? Okay, um, okay. Otis. We did. We did a change is going to come. Oh, and man. Uh, we did, and we did, uh, we did. Yeah, and what's crazy? One of our all time favorites, a guy named William Bell. He's an old soul singer out of Memphis. Um, he wrote a, one of my favorite all time soul songs called "I Forgot to Be Your Lover." Um, he was at the event and. I, I I I got to sit back and watch the band play that song with him that night, and uh, man, it was just an incredible night. It was a crazy night, but it was, uh, yeah, no, we did we did Otis songs. I mean, we used to when this band was first cutting its teeth, we would do whole Otis Redding records um, because our wow. record hadn't come out yet, so we had to fill in time. So we did it. We would do Otis Blue, and then we would do uh, we do one time we did the exciting Wilson Pickett. <laughs> um, and what's really funny is about a lot of those, those, re- those records is 
the Otis Blue one is not. There's there's no there's really no filler on that record. Um, the exciting Wilson, Wilson Pickett. There's some filler on that record. So it was a lot of fun to get to do that live. And uh, but we used to do that all the time. And that's how this band cut its teeth. Really, a lot of ways is doing that. Oh um, man, do, doing those shows. Well, we we got to get you guys to come and do a show in Columbus, Ohio, and. <clears throat> And and maybe maybe we can kind of end in doing these arms or something like that. That would be uh, that would be pretty incredible. <laughs> I, we we used to end the show with "I've Been Loving You Too Long," oh, and uh, and it would man it that that we well I do it during a sound check now. We won't do it. We don't do it in the show anymore because we got a song. You know, we got some songs that I think can they're not as good, but they do the same kind of thing. And um, anyway, but we do it for sound check every once in a while and. And just to get me, just because it keeps me happy. It's a good song to do. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, those those songs never get old. <laughs> they never get old, man. Well, uh, man, I, I, I just appreciate your time. Um, I, I'm so I'm so bummed Adam couldn't be here tonight, and I know he's he's pretty pretty bummed, too. But he's also in Florida, so I don't feel all that bad for him. But... No, nah, man, he's enjoying the weather for sure. <laughs> um, before I let you go, um, what what is the best place for people – um, I know there's going to be some people out there who may not have heard of, of your music, um, but who are hopefully hearing some clips of it throughout this episode who are definitely going to want to go check it out. What's the best place to go get your records? Uh, what's the best place to, uh, to keep on, uh, uh, keep in touch with what you guys are up to tour dates and that sort of thing. Well, we're terrible at social media. Um, <laughs> I've started to really use Instagram a little bit. I mean, man, we, we got a website, you know, it's St. Paul and the broken bones.com. Like you, Basically, you go there, Facebook. I mean, we got it already, Facebook. The only thing we don't have, we don't have Snapchat yet. Um, but we got, I mean, you can buy it on iTunes or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a great salesman, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, plugging it hard. But, I mean, we got a website, Facebook, whatever. I mean, we're, it's just St. Paul, ST dot Paul and Broken Bones. Perfect. Well, we'll we'll definitely get all the links and stuff uh, in our show notes so people uh, can can go there and and pick up the new album and the and all of your previous work. And uh, again, I like I said, man, I just we were looking forward to this uh, so much. Um, and uh, even though we don't know you, uh, I can just tell it like you you just you just come across like a really really good guy who um, who really takes this this gift seriously and, uh, and and you're doing doing the best you can with it. So. Um, again, I just appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know, uh, you, you guys have been definitely, uh, very busy lately. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thank you, man. I'm glad we could finally make it work. I, I've, I know there's been a few rescheduling things. I, I think one, I, one was in Europe Yeah. and I, yeah. I was like, I forgot I was going to be in Europe. And I told, I sent somebody I was like, don't, don't let him call me in Europe. <laughs> he can't afford that phone bill. I can't afford that phone bill. So let's, <laughs> we'll have to reschedule. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it worked out. Yeah. Perfectly. No, it was a pleasure, man. Thank you. Yeah, well, we appreciate it. And, uh, and, uh, we'll have to do it again sometime when you guys have, uh, have another record out. That'd be a lot of fun. Awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah, of course. John, what, what just happened? <laughs> uh, Adam, you look a little groggy. You, I think you fell asleep, man. Is the interview over? 
Yeah, sorry. He's what, gone. What did you talk about? You know, music and stuff. <sighs> yeah, you, you look really well rested, though. I have a headache. <laughs> <laughs> That'll go away. It's okay. <laughs> so was it good? Was it a good interview? It was pretty solid, man. He's a, he's a good guy. Man, <laughs> what, what, what'd you cover? I mean, I'll have to listen to it. Oh, man. Um, just a really cool, really interesting backstory on his life and, um, and some of the struggles that he had with um, kind of the, some of the viewpoints that, that, you know, that the church had in, in, in relation to uh, other people, um, you know, around the world and just kind of how, how narrow-minded and, and just unloving that we can be and, yeah. and how that kind of indirectly led him into the work that he does now. Like the guy was going to go to school to be an accountant. I'm so glad he did not become an accountant. I know. I, I did tease him about the fact that I'm like, you guys should never go broke then, right? Because you're doing all the bookkeeping. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know why I'm so glad you got him on is because, like you said in the intro, it, information and theory is n- not what this is all supposed to be about, even though we, you know, those are a lot of the books and the authors and the people that we end up getting on here. And hopefully that speaks into all you listeners and all your stories out there. But story is very important. And um, getting to hear Paul's story, like you just did, John, <laughs> is, uh, is also very important for all you listeners that just got to hear not just uh, facts, not just figures, not just theory, but story. Uh, we need to try to do that more. And um, we're going to try to find ways to do that. Yeah, um, we always try to keep it interesting by by throwing in some random episodes that that maybe don't quite you know uh, fit with the general theme of like academia and that sort of thing. Totally, but just really interesting stories, and uh, we hope to continue to be able to do that and uh, keep keep the variety going. And uh, we hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you enjoyed the music. Yeah, who's uh, the, who's the musical guest? <laughs> Ah, uh, St. Paul and the Broken. You know, it'd be funny is if we had him on and then just put some other soul band on. <laughs> I would not do that. They would no be God. They not only they they not only let us use their music, but they were like, "Can you use music from both albums?" And I'm like, "Heck yes, uh, yes, please." So there's there's tunes tracks from both albums. Uh, go out and get them. Um, yeah, tweet at them, tell them we sent you, and uh, just enjoy it, man. It is it is heartfelt, just really really honest music mm-hmm. about. Uh, some some dark topics and some dark struggles that we're all going through, and just uh, you know, from from this band, uh, just their way of of kind of processing that and and using their position to do some good. So, Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Hope you it. Thanks, John. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for acting as uh, <laughs> as my proxy. You were here in spirit. I had, a, I, had a, I had a picture of you and Joel Osteen sitting next to me the yep. entire time I recorded. It's a good picture. <laughs> I loved it when I got to meet old Papa Joel. Yeah. Yep. It was a beautiful day for me. <laughs> for all of you deconstructionists out there, whatever it is you're going through, hopefully uh, this episode was um, healing, just getting to hear a story, and hopefully you're continuing on and being present in your stories. Uh, we love that you can be with us, um, and hopefully you got a break from Adam this week. <laughs> <laughs> they missed you. What are you talking about? Until <laughs> next time, everybody, we are your hosts. I am Adam Narlock. I'm John Williamson. Keep deconstructing, everyone. (laughs) 